Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cotrera Show. Coming up today, we're going to talk to somebody from Pearson International Airport about how they could become the model for testing employees at your workplace to find out if they are asymptomatic and have COVID-19. But first, let's start off with your kids' candies. Yesterday, we had news that a convenience store in Markham was busted for selling cannabis-laced gummies that look like kids' uh, candy to underage teenagers. Here to talk about it, Constable Lauren Nickel from uh, the York Regional Police. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so you obviously, you and the uh, the York Regional Police are making sure you want to send out a warning to parents to be aware of the fact that these cannabis gummies are floating around and we're being so- sold in convenience stores. What are parents supposed to be looking out for? Because when I look at the pictures of the packages of these uh, gummies, some of them say uh, Starburst gummies. They look like candy. Others look like Skittles. What are the identifying features that would uh, make a parent aware that their kid could be in possession of these cannabis edibles? Yeah, I think that's what's really shocking to most people who have seen these photos. Um, I, I saw a number of comments on the photos on our social media accounts of people just saying, wait a minute, no, this is candy, right? <laughs> no, they're, they're all uh, are containing uh, cannabis if you actually really look closely at the label. So I think that's what, um, you know, what, what I would recommend is uh, if you have a concern, really look closely at it. The prices are obviously going to be different when you're seeing something with cannabis. It's not going to cost the same as typical candy. Um, and, and there are some indicators if you look at the packaging really closely. But I think what the biggest thing is, is that, um, you know, th- this should start a conversation between uh, parents and their, their, their children about the fact that this is out there. Because I think, you know, anybody who has, uh, you know, kids or teens, the, the packaging itself, it looks so appealing to that age group, right? They're, they're kind of so designed to look like, um, you know, something that the kids are naturally going to want. Um, so I think, you know, making sure that people are aware that, that this is what's out there and this is what the marketing looks like um, and that, uh, you know, unfortunately these are being sold in stores that are not supposed to be selling it um, is, uh, you know, kind of a, a jumping off point to start talking about it. Let me ask you this. Are they, uh, these are illegal products. These are not legal products being sold illegally in places that aren't licensed. That was the case in this in this incident uh, in this incident that we put out. So this was a, a convenience store that was not a licensed uh, dispensary, and um, yeah, the products themselves they they weren't uh, licensed to be to carry or sell the uh, the individual items. Now, as far as each product they have, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure where that's at yet in terms of investigating whether or not the products themselves. Um, were legal or not, but the fact that this convenience store was selling it was uh, certainly unlawful. Well, one of the reasons why I bring it up is that, uh, you know, if it's a black market product, it might not say anything on the labeling about uh, dose instructions, whereas something from a reputable producer would, mm-hmm. would let you know how much uh, to take based on how high you want to get. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, if there's a package of candy and I like that candy... It was gone in one sitting. This is yeah. a, a massive worry uh, to parents. So it, it, it seems like there's no dosage instruction on the package, correct? 
And that's been the concern for uh, a lot of these different edible products as they started to come out. So we've had a number of different investigations that involved uh, candy candy edibles and things that have no information. They're very unclear as to uh, how much should be consumed. But again, when you're talking about um, these products getting in the hands of children, there there would be no recommendations. I mean, that's not something that's that's safe for those ages. It's not something that would be tested on you know younger children. So there's no guidelines on on what that should be. Uh, but you're absolutely right. When you see products that are not going through the proper lawful chains, they're not they're not marketing them accurately, and they're not uh, providing clear instructions and, and safety warnings around them. Speaking of marketing, a lot of things that they want to move quickly in a convenience store or at point of purchase, they're right near the cash. Where were these products found? Um, so, uh, you know what, I'll have to clarify that with our investigators because I'm not sure exactly where they were, like what, what location in the store they were being uh being displayed. Um, but it does sound like in terms of the initial report that got this investigation started, um, the concerned citizen that actually contacted us reported seeing it being sold to, to, to young children who she believed were, were under the age of, you know, sort of in the range of 12, 14 uh, age groups. Um, but uh, we still haven't located those actual teens and children. So that's part of this ongoing investigation. Uh, but it did sound like there was some level of trying to conceal what was happening. So um, she indicated that it did look like it was something that they were trying to sort of hide while they were selling it to these uh, young people. So um, where the, where these items were in, on display in the store, I will have to uh, confirm that with the investigators. When there's something like this going on, do you have time to send in an undercover cop to investigate or somebody to kind of go in and try and purchase something like this to find out price point and things like that? Or is the uh, prevailing wisdom, no, let's just get it shut down right now because there are kids out there that we need to protect? Well, that's certainly the case with putting out this warning. So as I mentioned, you know, we're, we're talking about this store selling to children. However, since we didn't locate those children yet, there's there's some pieces that we still have to continue to move forward. But the fact that we know that these items are out there and the fact that we know that, you know, we have information that suggests that that, that was witnessed, um, we want to go ahead with it and make sure that parents are aware of it and then they can start to take those steps. Um, but in terms of the, the investigation and the charges that were laid, our officers, you know, go through the proper the proper procedures, right? They, they do, you know, slow things down and make sure that they have the proper evidence to lay a charge and to, to conduct the seizure before they go ahead with it. So, um, but, but obviously it was quite quick. We, we became aware of it in, uh, in January and, uh, you know, by February we had these items seized and these charges laid. With regard to the packaging and your warning to parents, you don't know who the teens were. They could still have uh, these uh, cannabis gummies and candies in their possession. What are parents looking for? Because I have a feeling there's going to be a few rooms tossed. Yeah, and and I think you know if you look at the photos that we put out, if you look really closely, there there are on most of the packages some indication that it's not uh, what it's portraying itself to be. So I think for some of the gummies, there's you know you, the ones that look exactly like Sour Patch Kids, but if you look at the writing, it says like Stoner Patch or something that that kind of gives it away. Um, so I would say you know first of all, like I say, have a, have that conversation. You know, start a discussion with your kids about the fact that this is out there and that you know um, it. it, it is going to wind up being something that that kids are, are looking for or after or um, you know trying to get themselves in possession of. Um, so parents should should be aware that you know this is happening and ha- and start to have those conversations with their kids so that they know what they're doing. But if you are you know coming across something that you're concerned about. Um, 
There's also, uh, you know, there's going to be more information um, coming from the government in terms of uh, the health side of things. So some of that information you might be able to, to get there, um, but really looking at the product again, looking at the package and, uh, and trying to see if there's anything that gives it away. How uh, proactive are York Regional Police being on going to other convenience stores to find out if there's more in the city of Markham and in York Region in general? Um, well, this particular investigation was was driven by the concerned citizen that filed that that report. So we really do kind of rely on that partnership with our community to let us know what else is going on in our, our community. We, we we obviously can't be at every location all the time. Um, we do have a number of pro- projects, investigations that are geared around uh, the Cannabis Act and the, and and th- those sides of things. Um, but in this case, I mean, this this was obviously driven by a citizen who saw something, trusted her instincts, and and filed that report that led us to this. Um, so we're incredibly grateful for that. And that's something I want to encourage. I mean, if any of our citizens see something or uh, believe something is, is a concern that, um, you know, we, we want them to come forward, report that to us so we can start to look at it. I want to thank you for your time, Constable. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. All right. That is Constable Laura Nickel from the York Regional Police. Wow. That is worrying, to say the very least. I mean, when you're a kid, the most you got, uh, as far as, uh, the effect of, of candy is a bellyache from overeating the candy that you bought at your local convenience store. There was no, uh, possible overdose that you're yeah, facing. And, and you know, Kelly, you mentioned, uh, when you're a kid and you have candy, like I give my nephews some gummies and I sort of, I'm eating them slowly one at a time. I'll even take a bite of a gummy. I don't just throw it in my mouth. And I'm watching, like, saying, savor it, enjoy it, enjoy it. No, a kid's not going to do that. A kid's going to pour the whole thing down their little mouth, and they're going to chew it and swallow it. It's they, so, it's, Chris, they are enjoying the candy. They're enjoying the candy quickly so they can get to more of the candy. Don't you remember what it was like to be a kid? That's right. You were born a 40-year-old man. Chris, you were the oldest young person here. I've ever met in my <laughs> life. I imagine that you were that freaky kid that savored the candy while the rest of us just downed it oh, quickly. Yeah. How long did your Halloween candy last when you were a kid? All year. Oh, I could ration that stuff that's all year. Ridiculous. <laughs> I, had to I don't think I need to I don't need to tell you that mine was gone lickety split. <laughs> it was just like no. I earned it, I'm using it. <laughs> <laughs> It made looking forward to Halloween exciting for the next year. If you already got a stash of candy still in your closet, what's the excitement about putting on the costume and Fresh doing the work? Candy. Ah, Fresh candy <laughs> that you can let go stale? It's good to ration it so that you never have that period where it runs out. So you had it in the cupboard and, it, and you were good until, hey, I, you know how you said you earned it, you're going to use it. I yeah. earned it. I wasn't willing to part with it. Mm. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, if they're pod gummies, eat them slowly. Adults, you know, there. and that's a big worry, right? Like I have a lot of um, conversations with people off the the air and on the air about people, you know, adults deciding. I like the idea of edibles. I don't like the idea mm-hmm. of smoking pot. I, you know, and I only need a little bit. I want to relax. It soothes me. Uh, it makes me feel better. And and they have gummies, but they they for the life of them they've are hiding them in weird places, hoping right. their kids don't find them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the kids, I had a kid whose kid them. did find them and Ooh. she knew what was going on and she was not impressed with her parents. This 14 year old <laughs> read her dad, the riot act. 
hilarious. Yeah. Don't you know that drugs are bad? Just say no, dad. Listen, one of the things that we know we have to do in order to deal with this pandemic is find out where the outbreaks are occurring before they even occur. And that will keep people safe, especially if they're working in uh, large distribution or manufacturing centers, processing plants. Pearson International Airport is expanding their COVID-19 monitoring with workplace testing. It'll start on March 1st. And they'll be offering, offering rapid PCR tests to asymptomatic employees. Here to give us, give us the ins and outs of that pilot, Dwayne McIntosh, Director of Corporate Safety and Security at Pearson International Airport. Dwayne, good to have you on. Thanks, Kelly. Pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. I was shocked today to find out that there are more than 400 companies that are actually operating out of Pearson International Airport. Are these uh, employees going to have access to this test? Who's going to be involved in the asymptomatic workplace testing? Yeah, thanks very much for the question. Yeah, we are looking to uh, open this up to all 400 companies. It was really important to us to make sure that we had the capability for our airport employees to have access to testing. We all know that the public system is very strained, and it can take a couple of days to get results back. And in, during that time, it kind of puts a lot of stress on, on the individual, their families, the colleagues, and certainly potentially the operation. So we wanted to make sure we had the availability of testing for everybody here at the airport that needed it. So we're really excited to get this thing launched. I think people are, are thinking, well, why now? You know, why haven't we been doing this sooner? And the problem has been we haven't had the lab ca- capability when it came to PCR tests. But you have now, is this correct, two newly built labs at, at, at Pearson International Airport or somewhere near the airport? What's going on with that? That is correct. So this this uh, initial phase of this is a study, and it is funded by the National Research Council of Canada, the Industrial Research and Assistance Program. Their their model is to really try and help Canadian businesses get technology into the market. And what a great relationship we've formed. You know, they want to do research, and we are trying to help out our employees. So what we've done is we've built two labs, one in Terminal 1 and one in Terminal 3. And we are using rapid PCR tests. So people can get results now in two hours. It's not like taking a test and sending it off to a lab. We're doing that work right here on site. So people get more immediate tests, uh, excuse me, test results. And, and, you know, they're able to make, you know, go about their, their day or at least inform their colleagues and family members whether they're positive or not. The, the challenge, obviously, you know, to, to answer your question of why now, Technology also had to develop and come along with this, right? There's been a lot of things that have been talked about, antigen tests, which are, you know, like a, uh, a simple test that takes 15 minutes, uh, but the accuracy is not as good as a PCR test. Um, and the other part of this was there's not been a lot of this rapid PCR testing available. So for us, it's uh, a way to really help out our employee base. Uh, but at the same time... Yeah. Right, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just wondering if you could get uh, a little bit more uh, in detail, explain in detail about it without getting too much in the, in the minutia. But I can't be the only one wondering, where did you put these labs? How big are these labs? So the labs are, uh, we've closed down a lot of sections of our terminal uh, just as part of the reduction strategy. We don't have as many passengers moving through. So we've taken up some of the footprint that was closed. Um, these labs are not labs that you would think of, uh, you know, monstrous buildings. These are, you know, about 10 to 15 feet wide and about 20 feet long. The machinery that we're using, again, state-of-the-art, and it takes up about a, you know, 15-foot table. So it's very different than what you would have a picture in your mind, uh, and that's that's what's exciting. We're able to do this on site, not take up a massive footprint, not have what you would think of as a traditional lab, but still be able to provide those lab 
quality of results. I know that you're starting this voluntary uh, 10-week study on March the 1st. Is there a plan that if the study goes well to keep these um, lab testing facilities in place, uh, you know, moving forward so that if we end up in another situation where there is a virus of concern, we can start testing for it? Yeah, no, great question. Our, our goal here is for the study is to learn how we operationalize this in an airport environment, both for our employees and how we operationalize it for our passengers. Our goal is to, to look out to take those learnings and to potentially advance this so that it's here and it's sustainable going forward. So maybe create something more permanent on our, on our property. We'd be looking to do that so that there would be a seamless transition from the end of the study going forward. That's our, that is our hope for sure, yeah. because we do not want to have this happen again. Now it, it would, uh, it would actually solve a lot of problems. You probably wouldn't have to shut down uh, flights like we have and, and do the, you know, restrictions could be uh, avoided on, on, uh, on the grand scale that we're on right now if we can only test for people. And you're launching this 10 week study. Um, you're going to also use antigen testing. Can, how is that going to work? Because antigen and PCR tests are different. Can you just outline how the study will work? Yeah, absolutely. So there's multiple components to the study. The first part is that we will be providing access to those who need lab-based quality test results to confirm whether they're COVID positive or not. And that is the rapid PCR test, which is Lumen Ultra device that's Canadian made. Um, and then we are also doing some research with the National Research Council using response biomedicals. So everyone that does a PCR test as part of this study will also have to do an antigen test. And it is research that they do not get the results, but we're trying to see how effective that antigen test is against the PCR. So that's one part of our study. Another part of the study is, is we're going to be doing a, uh, an eight to 10 week study using antigen tests where we're recruiting airport employees from those 400 companies. And we'll be asking them to test three days per week um, because we know that the, the number that's out there that tells us how many people are positive from COVID is only based off those that we've tested. There are many people out there that are asymptomatic and don't know they have COVID. So by doing regular antigen testing of asymptomatic persons, we're hoping that we can prove that the number is quite high. And, and in what we're going to do with that is obviously prove that we should be doing more effective um, screening in our workplaces, potentially more effective screening in the general population. And we brought three epidemiologists on board who are affiliated with the University of Toronto to help guide us through this. So all of this information will be published, published at the end of this and help guide, hopefully, industry and our government to help make some decisions about how we move forward. We know that you don't have an infinite number of these antigen tests. So what is the amount of people that you can have uh, involved in your study at once? So we have uh, currently 50,000 PCR tests and 50,000 response um, antigen tests. And for that study that we're doing that requires three days a week, those tests were provided by the provincial government and they are bioantigen tests. And they will, we have 18,000 of those to use on our, on our employee base across the entire airport property. So it is not infinite. We wish we had more. Uh, we wish we could do it longer. But again, the idea is to learn how to operationalize this, to do some research, to publish the data, and to really look about what our future and sustainable model will be. What, what's your personal uh, hope that will uh, th that this test and this voluntary 10-week study will result in? Wh what are you most uh, uh, invested in? Yeah, well, my hopes and dreams, if you're, if you're asking that question, my yeah. hopes and dreams here are that 
quite frankly, from a passenger perspective, we want to be able to provide accessible and affordable testing. You know, testing for people that are traveling. You know, the public system is, is meant for our, our general public. For those that are willing to travel or wanting to travel, we want to make that testing available and affordable so we can encourage people to travel and start boosting our economy back to where it was before COVID crisis. We want to make sure that they can do that in a safe and effective manner. So that's where our PCR tests come in and the rapid processing. From an antigen perspective, we're really hoping that what we can prove here is that we can keep our employees safe. We can give them the confidence and trust to come to work in a crisis such as the COVID crises that we're currently dealing with to make sure that they feel comfortable, that they can protect themselves, their colleagues, their business operations, and of course their families when they go home to every night. So it's a little bit hopeful, but I'm hoping that we can do that. And then this information will inform the general population of how we can use these same tools. Well, Dwayne, I wish you the best of luck with your 10-week study, and we look forward to hearing about the findings and the results of, of what you learned through this study. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Don't forget, we broadcast live three hours daily between 9 and noon. You can listen to us on your car radio, or you could tune in live online and stream us at 640toronto.com. Talk to you soon.